shining a light on the issue of domestic violence. The United Nations study out this week finds domestic violence is one of the most common killers of women around the world. Fears are growing at domestic violence shelters. Domestic violence experts in our top story. Well, the domestic violence situation quickly turned into an assault. The federal government calls it a pervasive problem that frequently goes undetected. We're talking about the courage that it takes to come forward as a victim. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode two of Community Voices. Today we have Barb Lehman. She's our Counseling Center Manager here with Saving Grace. And she's gonna share her own survivor story uh, that I just learned about uh, a couple weeks ago and her heart uh, for Saving Grace, of course, but also for survivors and our clients. So she's gonna share all that in just a moment. But first, we wanted to highlight one of our sponsors and that is Le Schwab Tire Center. So check this out. Not only is Le Schwab open and here to help, but they uh, have this great blog with things like this, good tips for um, being home, for driving less, how to maintain your car while it sits. Uh, super cool, they got a checklist, and of course, as always, you can go in and get the uh, what you need for your car. Last year, they surprised us at the end of, uh, towards the end of the year, during the holiday season with a surprise large donation. Just came by the office with a check and dropped that off and really, you know, helped make our end of year giving season superb. So the Schwab Tire Center, thank you so much. Glad to see that you're open and doing well, and uh, we can't thank you enough. So without further ado, here's episode two. I'm just going to split the screen here. Barb is our Counseling Center Manager, where she started in March 2019, right? March 10th, 2019. Yeah. So um, Barb's got, I, I didn't know this, and Barb and I have now worked together for over a year, and we were having a conversation the other day on Zoom after a meeting, and she started telling me her story, and I, I right then wanted to hit record because, for one, it was just so impactful. I found myself getting choked up and then wanted to share it with, with you all. So luckily, she uh, was open to that. And um, yeah, so Barb's going to share her background, her own personal story. We'll segue into her role uh, at Saving Grace as our counseling center manager. Uh, Barb, thanks for, thanks for doing this. Yeah, this is exciting. So a little bit about myself. Um, I am the counseling center manager at Saving Grace and it's kind of a dream come true, full circle moment, and I'll touch base on that, and it'll come together um, after I share a little more, I hope. Um, so that's part of what I do. Um, I also am a counselor in private practice as well here in Bend, Oregon, and I focus on trauma and crisis, um, working with transgender clients, and... Um, yeah, and I really enjoy that as well. So it's the best of both worlds. I have lived here full-time since 2012 when I decided to go to school at OSU Cascades, uh, get an under, <clears throat> undergrad degree in psychology, and then my master's is also from OSU Cascades in clinical mental health counseling. So the interesting thing about this and... Um, What's weird and cool and neat is the winding path that brought me here to Bend, Oregon, being at Saving Grace. And for me, it all started with climbing a mountain, specifically Mount Hood, um, when I lived in Salem, Oregon. And how that happened, and I think this is where I started sharing it with you, Ryan, the other day. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin, so far away from here. I was born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and lived there until August 2000. Um, and I moved to Oregon because my husband at the time got a job in Salem. And so I moved and was pregnant with my youngest child and decided to be a stay-at-home mom. And we lived in a small community in Enclave, um, Kaiser, Oregon. <clears throat> Some people say it's Salem, whatever. So live in Kaiser, Oregon. There's my youngest. I have a baby. I also have a son um, who is 
Well, at the time he, I think was 12 years old when we moved. So I had the opportunity to stay home. My husband worked and from where we lived, I could see Mount Hood. And the weird thing for me, the weird cool part about this is I moved to Oregon and I thought, oh, I'm moving to the wild west. This is gonna be so different. You know, didn't think about mountains. Um, I thought it was cool that there's the Pacific Ocean, but I would see the mountain and I'd be like, okay, well, that's neat. And maybe thought about maybe one day I'll put on my tennis shoes and I'll hike up the mountain because that's what people in Oregon do. So that was my concept. It went, it's so far from that, but that's what I thought. Never had the desire to climb a mountain, just kind of went on about my business. So fast forward to 2004, I was still living in Kaiser and my marriage was not healthy at the time. As many people, um, or I should say some people who are in unhealthy relationships, um, there was abuse in my childhood. I am a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault and Sometimes that preempts us to then have unhealthy relationships um, just because sometimes healthy relationships aren't modeled. And that was my family life. Um, so there I found myself in an unhealthy relationship, um, abusive, um, less physical in this relationship, a lot of emotional abuse. And I knew that I couldn't stay, but I didn't know what to do. Because here I have two kiddos, my skill set. Um, is pretty much gone. I used to work in nutritional therapy, um, but didn't have the skills, didn't have whatever certifications had expired, and I felt stuck. So out of the blue, I think I was cleaning the house or something like that. And interestingly enough, there was just this ad that popped up. I think it was on the radio. And it was the voice of this woman, and her name was Stacy Allison. And I was like, oh, Stacy Allison, you know, I didn't know who she was. And it was a promotional ad for the Lung Association of Oregon for a big fundraiser that they have that's called Reach the Summit. So Reach the Summit is uh, the fundraiser. What's included in it is you're supposed to raise money, hopefully $3,000. And if you reach the $3,000, goal, um, they provide you with a climb up Mount Hood, a guided climb. And for some reason, I knew I had to do this. And I can't explain it to this day, but I knew in my gut I had to do this. So I wrote down what I thought was the date to go to, um, they were doing what's called recruiting meetings, where they were going to REI stores throughout Portland, um, one in Bend, I guess a couple others. So I was going to go to the one in Jansen Beach because I missed a couple others. And I went there, showed up, um, had the dates wrong. So I walk in, they're like, hey, sorry, you missed it. Here's a flyer. So I was upset. I went home. And the very next day, I called the um, developmental manager um, who created this, this fundraiser. And she said, that's really great that you want to participate, but we're full, um, but I can put you on a wait list. And I was devastated. And again, here's this person who's like, oh, I never thought about climbing Mount Hood, but knew I had to do this. Now I'm on a wait list. Am I going to be able to do this? I think it was a week later, I got a phone call. And Jennifer, who is the developmental manager, said, are you still interested in participating in Reach the Summit? And I said, absolutely. She said, there's an opening. And I said, okay, I'll do what I have to do. And started, um, there were training hikes for this, um, for people like me, who um, I had not been in shape. I knew nothing about climbing. You got to meet people um, who would be your team members and there's just camaraderie. So it, almost every weekend, it was hikes out in the gorge, Angel's Rest, um, Dog Mountain, Ruckle Creek, um, all kinds of things in the beautiful, lush Pacific Northwest. So every weekend I was doing these training hikes. So you're doing this for months. This was about, 
I heard about Reach the Summit in February, started training hikes in March, and then the goal was to climb Mount Hood um, in mid to late June. So I go through these things, and then June comes around, and we're, uh, the way the fundraiser goes is that you take a snow cat up to Silcox Hut and you spend the night. And um, what I didn't know in the beginning, not knowing anything about mountain climbing, is that it's best to climb in the dark when it's cold. So um, we all get ready to go back on a snow cat. This is about midnight and with all our gear in our backpacks and the guides who were taking us up there. And they drop you off at the top of the Palmer ski area and you start working your way up to the hogs back. And I was on a team in the beginning, the first half of it, I was with a team of four people on a rope. And then when we got to the hogs back, you drop off some of your gear. And then I was on a rope with another climber. It was just the two of us. Um, and then we work our way up going through um, the south side basic route going up through something called the pearly gates. So early in the morning, um, I think it was like five or six in the morning that I summited Mount Hood on, I think it was June 24th. It was the Thursday. So as the sun is rising, you're standing on top of Mount Hood. It was the coolest experience I ever had. And I knew it was special and I knew it had changed my life. And so I come down off the mountain, have this great experience and decided that I just couldn't walk away, that I had to participate in it. So I volunteered uh, to do training hikes um, and train other participants wow. uh, to reach the summit from 2005, I think until 2007 or 2008. I was continuing to climb mountains. I actually started rock climbing at the same time. So I climbed, um, continued climbing all the peaks in Oregon, uh, California. And in, in 2008, the last climb that I did was in May that I summited Mount Rainier. Um, and that was kind of my thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm super I'm super intimidated. I've never <laughs> submitted anything. You can top my stairs, maybe. So um so what I did learn throughout this, on top of a really cool experience, um, is I was seeing other people, you know, participants for the the other Reach the Summit climbs that happened year after year, is you know, people were doing things like getting in shape and going back to school and getting out of healthy relationships. And just to back up a minute, um, I tell people, I kind of summarize this event in my life as I came down off a mountain, I divorced my husband and it was scary and it was difficult. But through that process, I felt like if I could climb a mountain, you know, I could, I could, get out of an unhealthy marriage. I could do things that I didn't think I could. So it kind of just became this, you know, I, I guess an analogy for what took off from that point. And then I was seeing other people do it. And I was like, there's this thing. And I, I don't know what this thing is that people are climbing mountains and they're going back to school and getting degrees or just whatever their goal is in life. and. So where are we at at that point, 2008? So I decided in, two, I think it was 2008 or 2009 that I was gonna go back to school. Um, I knew I didn't wanna work in nutritional therapy. There were things I liked about it. I loved working with patients. I love hearing patients' stories, um, but it just wasn't for me. So I went back to school, um, updated some of my general credits and, um, in 2012, moved to Bend, Oregon. Um, there were just some events in my life that needed to sell my house because I still owned it with my ex-husband, so I needed to sell it. Um, I didn't have a job at the time, but 
I remarried and my husband had a house here in Bend, Oregon because he used to work for Timberline Mountain Guides and was like, look, we've been renting this house. Why don't we move to Bend, Oregon? And you can go to school at Oregon State. So weirdly, we come over here and I sign up for my undergrad in psychology. Around the same time, I, let's see. So I start. I started volunteering at Saving Grace in 2012. After you moved here, yes, you did. So, <laughs> so there was that too, that when I was an undergrad, um, I did start volunteering and I think I did that, you know, because being a survivor myself, I wanted to do something and contribute to that and applying for um, graduate school. I, you know, I have this big gap in my work history um, where I was a stay at home mom. So I'd been at Saving Grace, I think it was 2012, I was working as a volunteer um, for our hospital response team. I was participating in the restraining order clinic, um, facilitating the Redmond and Ben support group. And then um, I was a, a helpline volunteer. So I was doing that, got into graduate school in the clinical mental health counseling program and um, pretty much knew I wanted to do my internship at Saving Grace. I'd stayed at Saving Grace um, and I just knew, you know, this, this is what I want to do. This, this makes sense in my life. So I applied for the internship um, at Saving Grace and then uh, worked with survivors from, that would have been 2015 to 2016, and graduated with my degree, and opened up my private practice. I think I left Saving Grace for a short amount of time, um, and then I just came back in March 10th of 2019. So, and when I look at all of those pieces together, the first full circle moment for me is, you know, going from being a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault and having this winding path um, and feeling really empowered by something that wasn't even on my radar, such as, you know, climbing a mountain. And when I actually sat down and thought about it, and I think I put the whole thing together when I was writing up my essay for my application to graduate school. And it just kind of floored me because the beginning of my essay said something like, you know, if I could, if I could climb a mountain, you know, and scale a mountain like that, what else can I do? And I, I look at that oftentimes in my life and reflect on that, you know, when life would get hard in school or life gets hard just because life is hard in some ways. Um, well, heck, I was able to climb a mountain and I climbed a couple other mountains besides that. And, you know, the metaphor of like climbing mountains sometimes is taken two steps forward, five steps back it gets really hard. Sometimes you can see the summit of it and sometimes the elements and just what's going on at the point, it's just not the right time to summit and it's not a safe time to do it. And you have to turn around and you may come back a couple times, but it's just been, it's a really interesting, it's been a really interesting journey and a real cool ride. And it wasn't that long ago, I'd say probably in graduate school, when I was, again, looking back on the whole experience with Reach the Summit, it, it kind of hit me like, oh my gosh, I forgot this other piece of it. Um, that when I was listening to the ad, there was this person, like I said, named Stacy Allison. And it turns out, I did not know at the time, but she is the first American woman to summit Mount Everest. Um, I believe it was in 1988. and. I got to meet her several times throughout the years that I participated in Reach the Summit. Um, she's a real down-to-earth person. And, you know, I was starstruck, obviously, when I first saw her. And she, part of the, the program was you could get a free copy of her book. It was called, it is called Beyond the Limits. I actually, like, 
still have mine. Nice. That <laughs> um, she signed for me. And I didn't read it right away. I was like, oh, I'm training for this climb. And, you know, met her on hikes and chatted. We chat about kids. We chat about the most obscure things. Um, and I sat down and I read it. And she is a survivor of domestic violence as well. And interesting. Some of the, some of the quotes in there, you know, are, there are things that resonate with me. They resonate with clients just talking about, you know, just how domestic violence is that you're with a person that they're so great when they're so great. And then sometimes it's just so bad and you feel like you're going crazy and people don't understand it and you don't understand it. And I would sit and look at this woman who is, you know, done such an incredible thing, you know, and um, you're just like, oh my gosh, you're Stacy Ellison, you know, and you're a human being and people experience this. So I just made that connection. And so it's just all these pieces that I'm like, holy cow, climbing mountains, meeting Stacy Ellison, working with survivors at Saving Grace and the whole thing started for me that changed the trajectory of my life was climbing the highest peak in Oregon that brought me to saving grace to this career. That's so amazing. And I, 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 I'm sure there is some psychology around it. Maybe you can enlighten us. Um, and I don't want to get on a rabbit trail. So keep me, keep me concise here. But when you, you said you knew in your gut that you wanted to do that first climb, the Mount Hood climb, you didn't know that she was a that that she was a domestic violence survivor herself right so there's these like i don't know like this like this gut level i just know that i know that i know and i know you've heard that more than i have from clients and other survivors who at some point it could have been like a 10 year unhealthy relationship but it hit mm-hmm. a point where they're like okay i got to get out now like mm-hmm. i need to summit this thing now right mm-hmm. and, and it's just that gut just a sudden gut feeling Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's different for everybody. For me, it was just life every day was just intolerable. Um, and like I said, you know, and at that time, you know, I was married to somebody who provided there, you know, we were privileged, you know, living in a suburban, you know, subdivision and and things like that. And you do that thing where you're just like, is this really bad? Because there's a roof over my head and there's food and my kids are clothed and it could be worse. So for me, what I did is I looked at my marriage and I was like, at least I'm not getting hit. You know, at least I'm, I'm not getting hit every day. At least it's just getting called a name or getting called stupid or things like that. So Right. Which is something I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about. And then I wanted to read actually what you sent me in this email too, if that's okay, the what's the most thing you want listeners to (laughs) take away. But we kind of touched on it in the last um, episode, which is, you know, I've been married 13 years as of next week. um, Congratulations. Thank you. It feels awesome. Um, (laughs) And so I was asking Tyler, the therapist that was on and Mm-hmm. At what point, you know, is it, because I, I think that's the hard thing. Sorry, my mind's all over the place. I think what's hard for people who don't, aren't in this world, um, or they're, they, they're not a survivor themselves, or they've never known anyone to be in that type of relationship. It, it's hard to hear like, oh, it wasn't physical, you know, like, well, isn't the, isn't all the other stuff just marriage? Or isn't it, isn't that just people and relationship? And you say things you don't mean and sometimes you do things you don't mean or you know you you were tired you were angry you were um stressed about work like you didn't really mean it isn't that stuff just relationships so what for you um because you said it was not healthy at the time and Mm -hmm. it was intolerable less physical Mm -hmm. more emotional Mm -hmm. what is that what does that look like? When did it hit that point where, you're, where you, you know, you're saying like, is this really that bad? It's not like this is happening. When did it kind of tip over where, where you knew that you, you, that it wasn't healthy? For me, I was getting physically sick. Um, 
and sometimes that happens, you know, that it's like, we have those whispers of like, we're like, something's going on. Um, so for me, it went from being the whisper to me getting physically sick for my body to say like, let's look at this. And what I remember one distinct incident where it became really apparent. So we here, you know, at Saving Grace, we talk about crazy making and we talk about gaslighting and it's, it's kind of, you know, mind games that sometimes abusers play. It's pretty common. Can you give an example of gaslighting? Absolutely. Um, gaslighting can be, okay, well, I can, I can give you an example of it with my relationship. Um, and one of the moments that I was like, uh, I'm not sure about this is that my ex-husband at the time took my car keys and he hid them and I knew where my car keys were. And he kept saying, I was like, I know my car keys were sitting here right by the phone. I put them there all the time. And I think I saw them earlier in the morning. And he said, no, you, he goes, you know, I, I don't know where your car keys are. You must. So it was like this thing about these car keys that I said, the car keys are there and the car keys weren't there. And I needed to go somewhere. I had an appointment um, with something important that I needed to be there. And I was in a panic and didn't make it, had to reschedule it. And he came home that night and I was still really bothered about these car keys. So he sat down with me and I remember he sat down in front of me in a very caring, very what he thought was authentic way, um, nurturing way. And he said, I'm really worried about you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and he goes, do you remember how your grandmother had Alzheimer's? And I was like, oh. well, because he knew he would go visit her with me. And I said, yeah. And he goes, Alzheimer's runs in the family. My husband was also involved in the medical field. So here I'm sitting here listening and I'm like, okay, maybe this is legit to a perfect, or I mean, to some extent. And he said, I really think that you have early onset Alzheimer's. And I believed him. So I made an appointment with my doctor. <laughs> and I Jeez. said, I have early onset Alzheimer's. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> what, what, what's, I mean, I, I know, I guess so devil's advocate, I got some devil's advocate questions here, but what's the end game for him in doing that? To keep me from going somewhere. And like I said, I don't, I don't remember what it, like for some reason, I think it was like an exam or something I had to take because I had tried to go back to school several times um, during like, while I lived with him. Um, and there were things like I tried to take a, an evening class and I'd say, you're going to be home by, you know, five 30 because my class starts at, at six o'clock. Yep. Yep. I'm going to be there. And he would show up at six 30. Always traffic or something like that. So it had to do with something like that. Like I had to be there. And the point was, I think, you know, I never asked him, but it kind of felt like the point was, I don't want you going and doing things. I don't want you maybe leaving me. I don't want you improving yourself. I, I don't want you to question things because I've been saying like, you're not smart enough, you know, to go to school. Hmm. And that's, that's kind of one reason that on our website, if you were to click on our helpline page, it's not just like the phone number. It's a list of does your partner blank? And there's a whole list of things. Because yeah. so, so many have said, you know, I didn't, I, I would never have defined or described my relationship as being like abusive, you know, mm -hmm. but as you're going through the list, does your partner pressure you like this? Do they make comments like this? Do they, mm -hmm. you know, try to keep you from seeing friends and family? So as you kind of go through and you're checking some boxes, that's, that, I mean, isn't that a huge part of the, the, the journey and the battle right there is, is like that admitting to yourself that you are like mentally checking these boxes and then mm -hmm. you're having that epiphany, like they're saying these things aren't healthy. I just checked eight out of 10. Mm -hmm. Now, now what do I do with that? Mm -hmm. have, we have kids, so we have a house, <laughs> but, you know, like I don't work, you know, what, whatever it mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So if you are watching, the helpline number is on the screen. I always forget which way to point. 
know, right? <laughs> just go, yeah, go to that link and just, just read through those and you may, you may be surprised, but maybe the best thing you do right now. So, okay, so let me segue and I'll read of this because I thought it was, how it was beautiful how you worded this. <laughs> so I, uh, the question being, what is the most important message you want our listeners to take away from our conversation? And this is what you said. I want survivors to know they matter. They belong and they are enough, smart enough, strong enough, good enough. We all have worth. We all get to throw our hat in the ring and claim our place in the world. This is so beautiful. Sometimes IPV survivors, that's intimate partner violence survivors, are viewed in a negative light as being less than or broken, damaged, beyond hope, weak, etc. When in fact, as survivors, they should be revered for their bravery in experiencing such horrific trauma. So maybe I'll I'll end up splicing this to the beginning because (laughs) I, I really want people to hear for one your heart. I don't know how many how many people who are scared, hesitant, suspect of counselors to think like they don't really know. They just did. They just chose that career because it makes a lot of money or whatever their their perceptions mm-hmm. of it are. Mm-hmm. Um, to hear for one that you are a survivor yourself. To oh no, my internet s- says it's unstable. Hopefully this continues. Are you still with me? <laughs> Still I can there? still see you and hear oh, good, you. Yeah. You're good. I'm going to stuff while we're talking. I just want them to hear your story, your heart, so that if that's one of the many barriers, because we do that to kind of protect ourselves. If I have to admit to myself that my relationship's unhealthy, either I'm going to do something with that that's <laughs> proactive or I'm not, you know? And then, no judgment, so What does it say about me? Yeah, and you so know, it's like, it, no, it's not that it bad. Yeah, yeah, so you maybe justify for months or years, like, no, this is just the way marriage is, this is the way relationships are, no relationship is perfect, you know, all the things that we hear. Mm-hmm. But if they can hear from you, your story, your heart for survivors, and that can be one less kind of mental barrier of why they, they don't call, why they don't pick up the phone and call our helpline or come to a support group mm-hmm. at counseling center, start one-on-one counseling, whatever it is. Um, I just really appreciated that that statement, and for anyone listening, um, I, I hope that I hope that lands for you. And um, knowing that it's not just Barb that feels that way, but it's really the heart of saving grace. Yeah. So let's see. What else do I have? Um, What can you talk a little bit about uh, for you first, you know, personally, your story, mentioning that the divorce part was scary and difficult selling a home. There's a ton of different factors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as a counselor and how you've helped helped individuals kind of get through the, the checklist of things that they're that they've kind of determined from themselves that they're wanting to do. Mm-hmm. What what is that what does that look like in the nitty gritty? How did you persevere through that? At any point after your summit experience, where did you like? Were you back home thinking like I don't know what I was thinking? We're not getting a divorce. Like just describe that a little mm-hmm. bit for us. Well, for that, getting out of that incident um, was different than getting out of previous um relationships that I was in but I want to say this hard but hard in different ways so my earliest relationships probably the most violent ones um were when I was younger I was you know a single mom 19 that was challenging because you know low socioeconomic status I didn't really have an education um gosh, you know, how am I going to feed my child? How, you know, just those meeting basic needs and things like that. And then of course, you know, I, I think sometimes it is just is easy to leave, but you know, leaving is just one part of it. That doesn't mean that your abuser is going to let you leave. And so for me in my earlier relationships that were abusive, the hardest part came when I left, but they would follow me. And 
The hard part for that is if I would go to someone's house, the person would find me. And then the people who were letting me stay there were in harm's way with this particular person. I didn't want them to get hurt. Um, I didn't want my family to get hurt. So there was that challenge. And then um, sometimes when you leave an abuser, they escalate. A lot of times they escalate. And then I had to stay alive to raise my son. And so there were those challenges. And fortunately for me in Milwaukee, there was an organization called Battered Women's Task Force that was like saving grace and worked with them. Um, they had a shelter, counseling, things like that. Um, so slowly I was able to get out of those situations. Fast forward to being married to somebody who I thought was the opposite of my previous abusers. Um, you know, he was college educated in the military. You know, I met him when he was in medical school. So I was like, there you go. Like I'm doing something else. I'm meeting someone else. This is what society says is a safe relationship to a certain extent. And then decide, okay, this is abusive in a different way, but like abusive relationships, um, domestic violence, there was isolation. Um, my family is far away, thousands of miles away. I didn't have immediate family. Um, I was not making money and um, I didn't have the ability to pay for an attorney. I knew that my husband did and I know if he didn't, his family would probably help him. Again, I didn't have a skill set. I didn't know what I would do, you know, the education I had would probably not support me. Um, so very scary things. And then of course, having your kiddos, you know, I had a teenager that was angry because we were arguing and angry because of the abuse going on. And just those things like kids get the, the fallout, you know, and just trying to figure those things out. And, and we hear this quite frequently, you know, working with survivors um, that they will say, as I had many people say, why don't you just, why don't you just leave? You know, we talk about that, right? Cause yeah. you all have brought that up. Cassie has brought that up and right. like, ah, why don't you just leave? And like I tell clients, if it were a just, if it were just that easy, we would have done this a long time ago. It's not like we want to stay in it, but there are so many factors. And I had one client, um, I think when I started counseling, that looked at me and said, these people that tell me, why don't I just leave the person? She said, are they going to clothe me? Are they going to clothe my kids? Are they going to, are they going to, buy groceries? Are they going to put a roof over my head, provide me with childcare, give me a job that can give me a living wage? Right. You know, so there's all those factors. And I was experiencing a lot of those um, when I was thinking about leaving my ex-husband. And again, so long-winded way to say, well, I had this experience of climbing a mountain and doing something really hard. And this experience, for me, I was like, I can do other hard things. And maybe people aren't climbing mountains, but maybe they do have successes in their lives that they go, well, I've been able to do this. I was able to go back to school. I was able to, you know, who knows what it is for any of us. But um, taking that leap is hard and taking the leap is really scary. And um, for me, it was, heck, I'm going to do it. And it wasn't a smooth ride. <laughs> it was not a smooth ride. I was, I remember taking the change jar and um, having my youngest son count all the quarters so I knew how much money I had to put gas in my car. Um, you know, and, yeah. and, and <laughs> just, <Yeah. laughs> just love it. Yeah. And attorneys, you know. Through, through the whole attorney thing that 
he wanted to fight and fight and fight for things, but you know, I couldn't afford um, numerous phone calls to my attorney because they were $250 per phone call. So yeah. Yeah. Man, this part of the conversation is bringing up so many other things for me. I, I think maybe to, to wrap up, recently, I don't know if it's the you know isolation, the social distancing, what it is, but um, we've been getting a lot of emails or Google messages or Facebook messages, you know, private messages about this situation that um, I, I think in the past week all women um, are in. And some are feel very difficult. Um, one was one of gratitude. They they wanted to share how they're doing with um, with their advocate, you know, who is no longer with us. So they were saying, "I don't know how to get a hold of this individual, but I just want them to know I'm doing so well, and it's been a year." Oh, it, it was really cool. It, but what was also interesting about it is this individual wasn't communicating that things are now better that everything's great it's it mm -hmm. sounds like um still she's still very much in it with her kids um mm -hmm. but such gratitude for where she's at compared to where she thinks she would be without you know what she received from saving grace mm -hmm. and so i i think that's what what makes my job difficult in a way is, is there's all these fundraising and marketing for nonprofit best practices about what the typical donor likes to see. You know, it used to be like the, the very sad image on the, on the, on the mailer, but now it's very right. happy. We want success stories. Yeah. Yes. And then, so I, I know these things and I, and I want to, I want to do that because I want to raise money for us because we do important things, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's just, there's no bow. I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's no neat bow that we, we can take like with each individual who calls helpline and then they do this and then they do this and they do this. And at the end mm -hmm. of 12 months, mm -hmm. here's the impact story, you know, for the community mm -hmm. to, to feel really good about their support of Saving Grace. So yeah, there's just no bow and that's okay, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and if you call our helpline and you don't say a word, the first dozen times I've heard that too. I called and I called and I don't say anything and I hang up. Yeah. And I finally spoke up and said, I think I, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, or you, 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 your safety plan doesn't involve, you know, coming to our shelter on day one. You know, it's just not, it's not, a, it, there's no bow. It's not, it's not, it's not linear. It really isn't linear and it's different for each client. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it clearly, you know, this is the first time I've heard anyone, you know, uh, had a gut feeling to summit a mountain and, uh, <laughs> and that's why, you know, they're, they're doing well. So that's, that's a first, your story is a first for me, but each story does have little threads of similarity, uh, which again, to bring back to what you said, um, they're strong, smart enough, strong enough, good enough. I mean, there's something of that in there where it's, it's a strong moment. They're not feeling strong. It's just one moment of bravery to, mm -hmm. to, to take one step in that right direction of, of being safe, you know, for, for them and their kids potentially. So anyway, yeah. I, I appreciate you sharing. Is there anything else that you, you want to be sure you, you mention, or if, if there is a for, you know, a, a, former you, a Barb sitting at home in a marriage where she is, you know, knowing that something is not right. Is there anything you'd like to say? Well, oh my gosh. I mean, again, there are similarities, you know, we have the red flags that we talk about with domestic violence and yet everybody's situation is a little bit different. And, um, Something with you that you were just talking about of like, you know, there's no, there's no bow on it. And I know, you know, grant funders and, you know, like you say, it's like, we like to hear the success stories, but what I witness and why just for me being at Saving Grace is, you know, um, the opportunity is such an honor 
um, to work with survivors is because it may not be climbing a mountain. It may not be somebody's summits, but our clients, I mean, sometimes it doesn't look like a mountain, but it's a mountain to them, you know, that the way we're like, gosh, you know, for them, I, you know, I had a client who was able to go to the social security office and get a social security card with her maiden name on it and celebrated by going to get a coffee because it took everything for her to be able to do that. And, you know, for some people, the bow is making the phone call. The bow is um, coming in in person, you know, um, talking to an advocate or gosh, you know, counseling, you know, counseling. Counseling's talking about it sometimes, you know, um, a lot of the time. Yeah. And so that's so good. I'm glad you said that, that there's no, there's no like pro programmatic bow. Well, we'll change it. There's no programmatic bow. There's not like a, like a flow that everyone fits into mm -hmm. to have this, this one particular timeline and success story. The little bows. I really liked how you said that. Um, because it's true. I mean, clearly you hear it more than I do, but I've heard it enough to to see the truth in that. Um, we we shared a story last month, and um, her name's Cassie. It's on our our website, and mm -hmm. she said like some days it was like I got up and took a shower, and that was an, that was that was enough for that day, you know, mm -hmm. because of the depression, because of what she'd experienced. Um, it, it's not a it's it's not a matter of like. Um, if you cared enough, you know, if you really were that upset about what happened to you, if you were upset enough, then you would do enough, you know, like, I think that's maybe the, the kind of naive expectation, you know, mm -hmm. but it's so trauma is so debilitating, right. That, that we, we celebrate the bows, the little bows in each moment in each day. I think that's beautiful and good picture. Well, and you know, and I may be rambling about this, but, you know, some of the things that are really difficult for survivors, you know, because domestic violence and sexual assault is a trauma. Um, right. You know, and clients have trauma responses to that. And there's a definition, and I, I'm unsure who says it, but I kind of love it. And it makes sense to some people when, you know, I mention this, is that trauma is the shattering of life's basic assumptions, that people are good, that the world is safe. Because if you talk to a survivor, they'll say the world, you know, it's like the world isn't good. You know, we're not safe. People or people aren't good or, you know, so those things have been turned on their head. So how do you navigate the world when you, you were like, that was my life. I bought into that. And it's not true. My experience says that that's not true, but I still have to go on with life and how do I do that when I don't have a foundation? Yeah. And that's a lot of the work that we do in counseling is, is that, you know, like helping clients make sense, thinking about that in a way that they can handle and meet them where they're at, you know, in ways that they can digest at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. So... And that'd be great to have you on another time since we've, you know, already been going almost an hour. Are you serious? <laughs> I know. It's crazy, huh? Because what I was thinking of is I, I think one thing, um, it, it, probably even for me up until a few years ago, counseling is what you see in, in movies. It's the person laying on the couch talking to someone with a clipboard, you know? And Freudian theory. Talk about your childhood. <laughs> yeah. I'll talk all the time and reliving that trauma. And it's so great <laughs> that now there's other um, models of, of therapy and, and, and healing, you know, the body and the mind. Um, EMDR. I'd love to hear you talk about there's, I don't know what it's called. There's another one um, where if there's a traumatic uh, memory, instead of talking about it again, you, they like recreate it with like, Okay, the couch is this, and the lamp is my dad. Oh, you're talking about role playing and gestalt theory, and like empty chair. Like pretend the chair is your abuser. Yeah, but I've heard good things. Like people can like, and then it's like, okay, well now come and look at it from this view because you were standing here in your memory. Come look at it from over here. So maybe there's maybe you don't like that stuff. We could talk about that too. But I'm just glad 
in wanting to say out loud that it's not just like if you want counseling, it's going to look like you've seen in TV shows, you know, and and it's yeah. a shameful thing. And you're going to want to put private appointment on your work calendar because if you say <laughs> counseling, that's like <laughs> some kind of scarlet letter, you know. So ours is, um, ours is very um, client centered, humanistic. You know, we have. Humanistic approaches are, you know, include unconditional positive regard, which is a long way of saying, you know what, like, we support you no matter what you say, and no matter what you do. And it's focused on the fact that you're the expert on what you're capable of doing and at the pace you do it, you know, whether it's we create just a safe space for somebody to talk about their experience or there's more work, you know, interaction between the therapist and the client. But that's what I love about Saving Grace is we use a lot of humanistic approaches, um, like internal family systems, where you talk about instead of like you as the person like, oh, you were abused and you're anxious and you're depressed. It's like there's a part of you that mm -hmm. is, there's this other part of you that's anxious, you know, so you kind of remove that from the self and look at parts and, you know, we do other things. Some of our um, counselors do do EMDR and mindfulness um, and then, you know, basic, sometimes some basic cognitive behavioral therapy stuff, but uh, we pretty much hover around humanistic, positive psychology and client-centered um, because that's trauma informed and that's what we always want to be with our clients. Yeah. Nice. Trauma informed. A new term to some perhaps, but <laughs> something you can easily Google and and blows my mind. I mean, I think when I really started diving in a few years ago, it, was, it just blew my mind. I feel like it changed the way I, I parent, you know? Not that my kids have any right. trauma, right. but just understanding yeah. like the the brain side and what how how the brain processes things and um, you know, uh, anger being a secondary emotion, right? That's yes. true. So frustration like, I'm just so mad. It's like, well, <laughs> behind that is something. And then there's a thousand things, you know, that are, they're being lumped into that. So anyway, I think you're awesome. I'm so glad you're with Saving Grace. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm so glad you shared this story with me a couple days ago so that we could do this today. You're the I, most awesomest. No, oh, stop it. I, I just, I know someone's gonna, I know someone's gonna watch this. Let me change the view. I don't know how it looks to the viewer yet. Um, I know someone's gonna see this and, 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 and this is a nudge, however, however big or small of a bow this is to them in the right direction. So whether they're in an abusive relationship, don't have the means to, to solve that on their own and need to call our helpline. Maybe there's someone with the means and they're just gonna do that privately you know, with them and an attorney, whatever it is, I just, I feel like what you communicated and that statement about value to the individual um, who's in an unhealthy relationship, I really feel like this was a nudge. So I appreciate you sharing your, your story. Learn more about us at saving-grace.org. Thanks for joining us.